Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I am Reagan Kelly, and I am joined this week by two awesome co-hosts. Nate Heininger. And Shane Kelly. And this is our second episode about IF Comp 2019. So if you... If you're new to the show or new to IF Comp, first of all, uh, last episode, uh, we gave a intro to the competition and explained how our coverage works and all of that, so I won't retread that same material. If uh, you're somehow jumping in here, uh, you'll feel free to jump back to that one. Uh, but uh, we are going to be talking about some more IF Comp games that we've played, uh, and I'm excited to get into it. Before I do, uh, I want to remind everybody that this podcast is supported by patrons like you on Patreon. You can find us at www.theshortgame.net or on Patreon at patreon.com slash theshortgame. And we're having a lively discussion about all of the games we're playing on IF Comp in our IF Comp channel on our Discord, which is exclusively for patrons at any level. So if you are uh, wanting to chat with us about the games that you're playing in IF Comp, we are excited to have those conversations. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, or of course you can join us on our Discord, and we'd be happy to have you there. Yeah, I have uh, I have particularly benefited from the conversations going on in the IF Comp channel. That has been uh, helpful to see what everyone else is playing, uh, get some insight about what has been good and what's worthwhile. Uh, similarly, uh, the Apple Arcade channel has been very helpful. So to the people that are in our Discord currently, thank you. And to those who are considering joining, get on in here. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Nate. <laughs> you know, the, the Discord really actually has been a really nice place to kind of um, make new friends and just sort of uh, shoot the shit about the, not just the short games that I'm playing, but the long games that I'm playing. Um, we probably won't be doing a making us happy this week, but last because this is going to be a long one. But last week was my birthday and uh, Reagan sent me a game in the mail and it was control and it's a long game and uh, I probably will barely get to play it, uh, but it rules and I'm already enjoying talking about it with people in the discord. Yeah. Are, are you not legally obliged to say our birthday when you're in the presence of your twin? <laughs> uh, I don't yes. know. I don't. I don't know how to. How work, did I phrase it then? Did I say my birthday? You Reagan said it was my, our birthday. Yeah. Yes. You said my birthday. Yeah. It's equally um, mine. Yeah. Yes. Reagan got me a sweet video game, and I got him a uh, a, a dorky um, uh, wristwatch. So you know, I don't know who came out on top there. It's a pretty good wristwatch. It has Garfield on it. Uh, so sorry, all of that aside, let's get back into talking about the games of IF Comp 2019. Uh, I'm excited to talk about some of the ones that I, I played this week. Um, you know, there's, it's, it's a, I feel like a overall more, um, I have lots of ups and downs with this year's comp and, uh, and a sort of microcosm of that is the first game that I played for the comp this year. Um, so, or excuse me, not first game, the first game that I want to talk about this week. Um, so the first game I wanted to, to go into is uh, Skies Above by Arthur DiBianca. And, uh, you know, if you've been following the comp for a while, you're probably familiar with that name. Uh, Arthur DiBianca has made a bunch of games that have done well in comps in past years. Um, I remember really liking Grandma Beth Linda's Variety Box. Uh, he did really, really well with uh, Inside the Facility, I think. I forget where it placed, but Inside the Facility was very well regarded. Um, and I think last year uh, was The Wand. 
and the wand is extraordinarily complicated uh, puzzle game. The thing about the thing about Arthur de Bianca's games is that I, I have a, I feel like a sort of a complicated relationship with them. Uh, I I super respect them, uh, but I also uh, f- and I I always play them, <laughs> but I also uh, almost never finish them because they're all uh, usually just these incredibly complex puzzles that mostly go over my head and his games are very much more games than stories. You know, they're very um, puzzle heavy and very much about sort of setting up uh, big puzzle ideas uh, and sort of working through these complex puzzle systems. The wand had you uh, going around with a a wand that could do just a, a zillion different things by dialing in various different little rings on the wand in various different combinations and kind of trying to decipher what the pattern there was. Very complicated. Yeah, yeah only one person on this show is Laura. And it's yeah. not you, it's not me, it's not Jane. That yeah. is very much a Laura game. Yeah, that was a very much a Laura game. Um, I was I was very excited to play Skies Above because because it's it's a different sort of game for Arthur D. Bianca. And um and I bounced off it in a very different sort of way. <laughs> so um so this game is is very different in that it's not actually all that puzzle focused. There are definitely puzzles, um, but it's got an interesting structure. You are uh, trying to, you are a, uh, like a, a airship captain and you're trying to sort of power up your airship to be able to reach more of these floating islands that are sort of floating in this sea of sky. And, um, in order to do that, you have to collect floatrons, which are particles that float, I presume. And, um, there's lots and lots of different places you can go and in each place almost or most of the places there is an activity you can do that functions kind of like so uh i think the game refers to them as mini games i think that's stretching the the definition of mini games a little bit they are little micro tasks um so a, a quick example would be that one of the first places you can find is that there is a pump at, at a play, particular place and once per day you can go to that pump And you literally have to hit the U and D keys on your keyboard to move the pump up and down, up and down, up and down. You do that maybe a a few dozen times to pump out a few Floatrons, right? Um, And the the, the sort of loop of the game is that you have in each each in-game day, you can do a certain number of types of work, you know, types of activities. Um, Each of these activities is something that, you know, many of them have some kind of component like that where they're a little bit tedious, right? By design, they're designed to be a little bit tedious. They're not something that's like exciting to do, Um, but you have to kind of figure out, okay, I've got all these different options open to me. What do I do to make the most Floatrons per day? Um, So you're kind of fighting against sort of by design tedium, right? Like the, uh, does it have like some elements of like an idle game where you're like, you know, turning Floatrons into Floatrono, Floatronators that. My God, I, I was so, ex- I was so expecting that, right? When I saw this, I thought, oh, this reminds me of some of the, the mechanics of something like a dark room or maybe that, uh, universal paper clips or something like that, right? Where you're going to be sort of setting up where it's not just about optimization, but it's more about sort of building an engine to generate things for you and eliminate the tedium for you. And if this game does that, I didn't get to it. It's mostly about optimization, but the optimization is not so much about like building a machine to get you Floatrons. It's about trying to find better to improve the efficiency of the tedious things that you're doing. So 
for example, there's a gym you can go to work out in and it improves your muscle stat. And that means that when you go to use the pump, you get more Floatrons out of the pump, but you still have to go to the pump and you still have to hit that UD, 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 UD several times in order to do it. So you're not like eliminating work for yourself. You're just making the work produce more for you. Um, and you're by doing that, you're opening up new areas. So you get to float higher with your boat and explore new islands and those unlock new places to go. Um, I played this game for about two hours. That's kind of my limit on a game like this where like I, I think it's well designed for what it does, um, but I was well, it finding it- just sounds it, like it's fundamentally about grinding, right. right? Which is not something that you usually want to- it's not something that no. I usually expect out of interactive fiction. Yeah, and so like I was expecting, I was expecting something like you know uh, building a system like Universal Paperclips or something where I'd be able to, um, uh, you know, f find and exploit uh, a sort of I don't know trade or something like that, like something like um, Superluminal Vagrant Twin. And I just didn't, I didn't quite find that in this game. It was, uh, it was interesting. And I think it's a well-made and well-designed game, but, um, you know, it, it, I, I bounced off it in a way that it was different from what I've bounced off of his games before. So apologies to Arthur DiBianca. Well, keep keep putting them out there, Arthur, Artie, uh, if I can call you that. Uh, he's, I mean, he <laughs> does well, right? Like, people love his games, and, and I have liked his games in the past. They are well-designed games, right? Um, I think it's just like, they're not for me, uh, or like not all of them are it's, it's complicated. Like I said, I have a complicated react, uh, uh, complicated relationship with them. So I'm going to talk about a game that is maybe the opposite of what you were just talking about. Reagan It's called Limerick heist and it is made by, uh, Pace Smith and, you know, when I think about uh, interactive fiction, uh, interactive fic fiction can accomplish a lot of things that basically any other style of video game cannot. And I never would have thought of this, uh, but a limerick-based game is solely in the realm of interactive fiction and probably not successful in any other capacity. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, this game is very successful at making a limerick based game. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and so it is also the most directly titled game that I've played in a long time. It is a heist. You are stealing a Fabergé egg and the entire game, literally top to bottom, is limericks. There's never not anything that is presented to you in the form of a limerick and it's and there's it's a choice based game which is interesting you actually there uh i've played a couple interactive fiction games that are heists and i think that's a pretty popular thing to make uh in interactive fiction you go you pick your team each person on the team is an you know a unique character they have their strengths and they have their weaknesses you pick the team you go about the heist, you make selections all throughout the heist that uh, determine whether you are successful or not in the heist. Uh, but the thing about this one is that the entire game is limericks. And 
it seems one of the most impressive parts about it is that like, I don't know. It seems like no matter how you picked and who you picked, there was going to be a limerick for each version of the team that you made and each version of how the heist can go. There's a lot of different endings as you would expect in a heist game from incredibly successful to wildly unsuccessful. (laughs) Uh, All of it presented to you in limericks. It's wild. It's, it's really, really successful. So I thought I like, I I feel like I wouldn't be doing this game. Yeah. I need to hear a limerick now, please. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So I'm going to do my best here because again, the entire game. So they are, I try to find some, some really good ones that express how confidently this game uses limericks. So here we go. Good evening, dear Mademoiselle. You're, oh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Confidently. All right. Let me Confidence. try it again. I, I swallowed Mademoiselle. All right. Perhaps she'll die. Good evening, dear Mademoiselle. You hand her a red Zinfandel. I've one piece of cake with a Titanic take, one charm in one lift and one sell. Alas, I've been wined but not dined. How am I to make up my mind? Astute observations, I've made reservations. For two, she replied, you're too kind. At dinner, she says, so do share the particulars of this affair. You tell her the deal, but what's the appeal to a fashionable posh millionaire? And then you have the choice. You tell her the prize to be rated, or you tell her the job's destination. And then whichever one you select, it like... Fills oh, up so even oh. even your choices are like the beginning line of a limerick? the beginning to, beginning. Literally, there is not a line in this game that is not a limerick. There's no exposition. It's the entire game is that's limerick awesome. based. That's a, uh, I mean, it's a I've feat got, of uh, poetry, if nothing else. It's it's wild. Like I kept waiting for like something, and there's like <laughs> there's like flashbacks and and uh, it's it's a whole game of 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 completing a heist. And the entire thing is done in limericks. I got one more. At the King's Oak disarray, guards running every which way, not comprehending who they're apprehending, believing the fake dossier. With so many felons odds on, security thinks there's a con. They're right, although tricked, about who they've picked to pin their suspicions upon. Oh, I love uh, it. And then, and then the next line is, Verge as a guard now disguised. And then you tap on it and it completes the rest of the limerick. Oh, that's so good. That's really it, neat. There, yeah, there's like 20 something different endings are right around there. I played through a couple of them. I never completely restarted the game and picked like a totally different crew, but it does have uh, a couple times where you can like undo a decision to go back and try it in different ways. Um, it's it's fun. It's super lightweight as far as the actual game mechanics. It's what I actually kind of want a lot of times in at in and in interactive fiction. Uh, I you know I can definitely get behind those like complex puzzle games like you're talking about Reagan, but this is something that like again this would only be successful in interactive fiction where you're just going to read a ridiculous amount of limericks and really appreciate the author's. Uh, ability to tell an entire story in this rhyming pattern it's 
it, it, like I try to pick some ones that really show like they play around with the language of it. Uh, but the meter is always spot on, except for one time where there's even a joke about messing up a limericks meter. Uh, it, it's it's <laughs> really good. funny. Yeah, it's really funny. The uh, IF comp page says, uh, uh, you know, about an hour to complete. And I, I think that's really if you're going to go through and play a lot of like play the whole game and get a whole bunch of endings because you can really play through and pick an entire team and do a full run of the heist in probably 15, 20 minutes. Uh, and you can really get an idea of the humor and the accomplishment, in my opinion, of this game really in the first like five or 10 minutes. Uh, there's a lot of jokes in there, like for no reason, Teller of Penn and Teller is a character uh, there's a lot of references to other video games, uh, specifically Metroidvania, which they do fit the word Metroidvania into a limerick, which is <laughs> an uh, accomplishment of its own. Uh, they play a lot with slant rhymes, but you kind of have to if you're going to do something like this. So uh, I, I definitely recommend it. I don't know where it stands on like the pantheon of, you know, complex and accomplished interactive fiction. But to, for me, this is often what I'm actually looking for in this sort of stuff. So I, uh, I definitely recommend it. Check it out. It's, it was a lot of fun. And at the very least it's silly and good for a laugh. That sounds like a blast. Yeah, absolutely. One of the great things about the, um, uh, about IF comp is, uh, that I can really delve into the spirit of our show and play games that are ultra short. Um, you know, I, I can't think of very many games that we've done on this show that are in the uh, 15 to 20 minute range. Uh, but every year for IF Comp, we have a lot of those. And so I get to spend some time uh, really checking out things that are in this sort of tiny micro game um, region. Uh, and so I'm going to talk about two right here. One is a bit of fan fiction, I think. Uh, it's called The Legendary Hero Has Failed by Tom Martin. And this one is kind of a quirky take on Majora's Mask. Uh, I, I, is, I played this one too. I can't wait to hear what you have to say. Yeah. Um, so I have never played Majora's Mask, and so I didn't really put this together. <laughs> Neither have I. Until... Why did we both play this? <laughs> and why isn't Laura here? Why isn't She's Laura here? Well, uh, Nate. Did you ever she play loves Majora's that Mask? I I never. Uh, man, we're uh, we're losing so much okay. of our video game worst uh, gamers our, ever. Our Apologies 90s video to Tom and to uh, uh, to Nintendo. Now I I definitely did play it, but it was like when it was contemporary and I don't think that I ever truly finished it because I had a hard time uh, finishing it. So, yeah, but like, uh, I, I think, think we're all sort of familiar with its trappings, right? We may not get the specific yeah. references, but we're familiar with its general setup and vibe and weirdness. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So in Majora's mask, uh, I am told uh, the, uh, the hero of time link uh, is going through a time loop uh, in which he is trying to prevent the moon from falling onto the earth or to Hyrule or whatever and killing everyone. And that happens over and over again until he succeeds. And uh, I guess that this game takes place during one of those unsuccessful loops and uh, some characters who um, at first I assumed must be from Majora's Mask, uh, but maybe not because I couldn't find evidence of them as I in my quick Google searches. Um, but some of these characters uh, are just sort of hanging out around a campfire, talking to one another. 
and um, you can kind of spend this last five minutes that you have uh, reflecting with your friends and and talking with them about uh, the impending end of the world and kind of getting their take on the end of the world. And uh, so I think that element of it was pretty good. I Sadly, um, I've had a few games during the comp for me that didn't fully function. And for this one, uh, it seemed like it made really clever use of graphics. But unfortunately, the graphics don't load for me in this game. There's That's an funny. opening I, yeah. image. I had the exact same problem on this one. I have read uh, in someone else's review of this game that uh, it had cool animations, which I guess maybe was some animated GIFs or something like that. Um, and there was actually a really interesting piece of interaction, uh, that I managed to get through even without the picture, but it would, it, what it seemed like was sort of a, um, you know, a character asks you to lay back and look at the clouds with them, um, and asks you what you see in the clouds. And then it showed me like broken image <laughs> and, and then I, so, and you can, you can type something in and I was like, uh, I see a broken image and it's like, yeah, th- there are clouds up there that look just like a broken image. <laughs> Aw. <laughs> uh, so that was kind of a bummer. Um, I, I really hope that that gets up and running. I'd like to give this game another shot um, just to see those those animations and pictures. Um, this is, I, I think, interestingly enough, this is one of two pieces of fanfic in the comp this year. There's also a Hogwarts-themed game that I haven't gotten to play oh. yet. Yeah, I, I forgot. I, um, I scrolled past that one, too. I haven't checked it out either. That's interesting. You know, I don't... I, I mean, I know there have been things in the comp that have been like references, but I think I've seen more like interactive fiction references than I've seen straight up like references to, um, you know, popular uh, video games and films. Yeah, you're you're more likely to see uh, Andrew Plotkin than Harry Potter, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but let's see. So uh, I'm trying to cover these games quick because they are quick games. Uh a game that I was kind of interested in, uh, but then didn't totally fully hit for me, uh, was a game called Lucerne by Dimitri uh, Caviani. And I immediately wanted to read it because Lucerne is uh, my favorite brand of organic milk. Um, <laughs> okay. But um, <laughs> Dim- <laughs> the, the, the game here um, is one of the more or less oddball uh, pieces from the comp. Uh, every year, I, if you're if you're looking at these games that are in this kind of hyper short variety, a lot of them are sort of people's first efforts or are um, uh, very experimental in some way, um, or they are also um, because of their being so short, have kind of limited interaction. This one was extremely limited in its interaction, uh, but let me give you an idea of what Lucerne is. Lucerne is the name of the title character who's a young girl who um, uh, is kind of bothered by her younger brother, and in order to get him to uh, leave her alone and I guess go to sleep, uh, she tells him a tale about a uh, black king who lost his son and, and goes around stealing little boys. And the uh, Black King comes and steals her little brother and she has to go and and retrieve him. Um, It's a story that really reminded me of The Labyrinth. There was some good writing to it, but what what, what kind of bugged me about it is it really is, stretches the definition of interactive. It really does feel like uh, maybe a, a, a story that, 
I don't really think there is any interaction here. I think you get to the end of a page and you're essentially clicking on a next button uh, to get to the next one until you've made your way through through the story. So um, I don't know if this is one I would recommend because I just don't think it's what people are looking for in the IF comp, d- despite the fact that, that you know the writing uh, was interesting enough that I that I finished it. But um, it's not my it didn't really hit for me. I am looking forward to talking about quite a few more of these little 15-minute super short games. I've got a longer list here. I I also can kind of do a paired couple of games uh, here. Uh, so both of these are united by the fact that they are, I would say, kind of both artsy horror. And I, that might sound like sort of reductive. I, you know, artsy can sound like I'm uh, poo-pooing it. But they are both like very artistically uh, artistically written and artistically presented with horror elements, but horror might not necessarily be like the A number one genre I'd put on either of them. Um, so I guess I'll start with The Good People by Sue David. Um, I haven't played anything by Sue David before, uh, but I, I looked and apparently last year's uh, sixth place winner, Master of the Land, uh, was by Sue David. And I looked that up uh, and uh, wow, I'm kind of sad that I skipped it last year because it sounds really, really neat. And it also won best implementation uh, in the uh, the ZZ or I never know how people pronounce these things. X, Y, Z, Z, Y awards last year and uh, sounds really cool. And um, this year, uh, Sue David's uh, entry is a twine game, uh, or at least I'm pretty certain that it's twine, uh, but it's extremely polished for a twine game. It's extremely good looking and like well presented. And that was sort of the biggest uh, sort of feature of it for me is that it's it's done with extremely attractive text. He did, a, or I, 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 I assume he um, did some really cool stuff with the text in the game uh, with things like animation and text placement in unusual ways or arrangements. It looks really, really cool. Um, and the uh, there's some use of graphics that is minimal, but also I thought really tasteful and looked great. Uh, apparently uh, started with some like, uh, you know, uh, copyright free or, or, you know, freely available images, but integrated them in a way that felt really organic and gave them all a unique and, um, you know, sort of stark visual look. Uh, it's an awesome looking game. And, um, it starts off with a very personal story that doesn't really, it doesn't really tip its hand. I I don't think it's spoiling anything too much to say that it takes a turn towards horror because horror is listed on its, um, you know, on its a description on the IFCOMP page, um, but I won't spoil anything or rather I'll, I'll do a spoiler break before I get to talking about that part of the game because it is a big twist or turn or change about midway through. Before the sort of midpoint of the game, uh, it reads as a sort of a very personal story uh, about, a, 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 a. so I don't know any of the nationalities in this, so it's a little hard to talk about, but uh, the central character, the main character is um, returning to a country that he's left Um, So he's sort of an expat living abroad uh, and he's brought his foreign girlfriend back to his uh, country of origin and they've gone to visit a a, a town that his, I think, great grandparents lived in, but that after the time of his great grandparents, uh, it was flooded by the construction of a dam and then 
in recent times, that dam has been moved. And so this town or the remains of the town that his, that, you know, he has this sort of ancestral connection to are now exposed. And so he's there to, to take a look at it, but he's very uncomfortable about it. His girlfriend is some sort of travel writer and is much more enthusiastic about seeing this place. And I thought that the, the writing of that character and his discomfort with his own sort of um, heritage or estrangement from his heritage uh, was really, really interesting. Uh, And it's about him sort of uh, feeling a connection or lack of connection with, uh, you know, not just his like parents generation, but like great grandparents. Like, you know, he, he has stories about this place, but they are like two generations removed. Um, and I thought that was really, really interesting. Then here's where it takes a rather sharp turn. And if you'd prefer to avoid any spoilers, you may go ahead and, you know, use the chapter skip button in this very stark and strange place. Uh, he encounters, starts encountering supernatural things and the horror of it is very good, but I also thought had some things about it that really were in need of some work. So, um, uh, the, the, uh, there's a creature, uh, that lives in this place that I won't go, that, that is, that is not deeply described, but is set up in an incredibly unsettling hair raising way. Um, when it's presented in the text, its name is just a vibrating, uh, you know, mishmash of characters that you can't read, uh, which I thought was a really effective, cool twine thing. Um, and it's, it's only very sparsely described, but it's extremely creepy, uh, what, but it almost immediately sort of neuters the creepiness of this thing in a way that I thought was like strange to do. So like sets up this scene. I, you know, you're walking into a building where you encounter this thing and my, you know, the hair on the back of my neck is standing up. The pacing with things like the animated text appearing on screen is like really building tension and you encounter this scary thing. And then it flashes forward almost immediately to a scene that seems to be taking place, um, maybe months later where you're shopping for an apartment and you're back in wherever you're supposed to live. And this thing is there with you in your apartment, which is a weird, creepy thing, right? But that scene kind of neuters the creepiness of the creature because, you know, it it almost feels like this sort of funny domestic scene. Like, I I don't know whether that was meant to sort of heighten the, the creepiness because there is this element of like, this thing has followed you home and is going to devour the people around you in a way. But there's like moments where he's like, he's the only one that can see this creature and he's like kicking it out of the way so that like a realtor can walk past things like that. And it's like, it's that scene struck me as funny. And um, because it had that moment, it kind of like took a lot of the the punch out of the scariness of the entire rest of the thing for me. And it took me out of it a little bit. So anyway, that, that was a bit of a disappointment. I thought Uh, I didn't think it really executed on the horror very well. It executed very well on, I thought the the early part um, that was very artistically written and well presented. Um, And when it started to take its turn towards horror, I thought it was really bringing me along and then it it didn't quite. Um, So anyway, very cool game. I would absolutely recommend it. I think it's going to be on uh, high up on a lot of people's lists. Uh, And I've read some some responses from other folks who seem to have had a m- more bought in relationship with the, uh, the horror elements of it than I did. Um, but, uh, maybe I have particular tastes or, or something that, that maybe kept me out of that. 
Um, and I had a kind of a similar response to another game in the list, uh, Night Guard slash Morningstar by Astrid Dalmati. Um, Astrid uh, wrote a game that I really, really loved uh, a couple of years ago, I think, called uh, Cactus Blue Motel. And I think it did really, really well in the comp. I forget where it placed, but like pretty high. Um, and uh, so I really, really liked that game. And I was extremely looking forward to playing this one, too. So it's another one that sort of artistically presents something that uses some horror elements, um, but I don't feel like the horror is necessarily the sole focus. Um, it's a uh, it, it, your ta- it's it's mostly a, a, a story about a, a woman and her relationship with her mother. Um, the mother is a famous artist. Um, seems like sort of a outsider artist or, you know, an art, one of these artists that's uh, meant to sort of speak for her, you know, uh, people of her uh, generation and national origin or, or race or something. Um, you know, um, I got a kind of a Frida Kahlo kind of vibe from the way they were describing the, you know, her, although, you know, that's probably reductive. I'm just not that artistically clued in, but anyway, um, the daughter has a complicated relationship with her mother where she clearly loves her mother, but has had to take care of her and has felt abused by her and, and so on. Um, and the, uh, that's mostly that story of their relationship is mostly told through this slightly creepy scenario where she's working as a night guard. Her mother got her a job guarding an exhibition of her mother's paintings. So she's all alone at night in a, in a, a room surrounded by her mother's paintings and suddenly one of the paintings disappears and she has to basically go into each of the paintings collecting objects for a kind of a ritual to resummon the painting that has gone um it's it felt to me like it was pretty minimally interactive I found out later I'm wrong about that, which makes it very interesting in a retrospect, but maybe didn't help so much in the moment. Um, uh, the uh, I am told that the game is tracking the way that you proceed through. It's it's all choice based. I don't know if I mentioned that, but um, uh, it, it apparently the game is tracking your state in some ways that weren't apparent to me, and that it has many endings. And I had no inkling of that when I played it. It felt quite linear to me at the time. Um, That's so pretty cool. That, it's interesting, right? Like, um, yeah, I, I thought that the, the the stuff about the relationship with the mother was interestingly carried off and, and well written. Um, I did kind of feel like the. Uh, the uh, the process of the game was like okay I'm gonna once I realized sort of what was going on it was sort of like click each uh, click each painting you appear in a scene that tells you something about your and your mother's life and relationship you find some object click it to collect it get back out of the painting and eventually end the game um, I don't know I, this didn't I didn't respond quite as much to this as I did to something like uh, Cactus Blue Motel that felt like a really fun cool. Um, I mean, you know, it was still creepy and, and it was, you know, I don't know, fun and cool may sound like, I don't know, whatever. I, I just really enjoyed that game and it felt like a really cool episode of the Twilight Zone, right? Whereas this felt a little more yeah. like an episode of like Rod Sterling's Night Gallery, which I didn't like as much as the television program. Um, similar kind of thing, but not quite the same. And maybe that was an expectation problem. And also maybe there were like hints at the sort of, um, interactivity that I, that I missed, um, I, I don't know. I, I think this is really an interesting game. And I think that a lot of folks are probably going to uh, to like it quite a lot. Um, I think it's another one where maybe my particular expectations with regards to horror 
uh, are uh, are not in line with this because I didn't think it really carried that. The 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 good people, for example, I thought was much more effective as horror, and even it had some some missteps that bothered me. Um, this didn't really, I don't think, kind of function as horror, even though it's kind of listed as such. Um, but it's yeah. it's interesting, and I, I'm I'm curious to play it again because finding out after the fact that it was much less linear than I thought. And I'm not really sure in what ways is a, is an interesting thing. Um, so I, I'm, I'm more I'm more curious about this, uh, having finished it, than I really was uh, playing it. <laughs> but um, I, I still recommend it because I think Astrid Dalmati's writing is really really good. So um, I'd still recommend people check this out. So the next game I want to talk about, I yeah, I, I kind of mentioned on the the last game Limerkais that you know interactive fiction and fiction in particular can accomplish. Uh, something that no other uh, medium for storytelling can. And uh, I, I really believe that fiction also does a really great job of putting you into a tone or a mood or a setting or a place that no other type of media can actually do like good, well-written fiction can. It's mm. one of the hallmarks of the genre, right? You can actually put yourself into these scenarios, even if you're reading a story about someone else way more than a movie or a video or, or, a, or a, a, a non text-based video game. Right. And so I played the surprise, uh, which was written by candy Meldramon. And this is a game that, uh, did a really good job of putting me into a position a place that I would never be in real life, which is a woman who is looking at pregnancy tests. Uh. And uh, it's very short. It's very simple. It's definitely like a mood piece, if you will. Uh, it is uh, very light on the gameplay. You're more or less trying to solve what order. <laughs> Solve's not the right word. But that's how it felt a little bit for me. But solve like, where in the bathroom should I go and sit? And what order do I do the actions that you have to do to take a pregnancy test? Uh, and I won't spoil, you know, where it goes. Um, <laughs> but it was a, it was very, I think, purposefully, simply written uh, and very effective. Uh, and I don't know, I, I, I enjoyed it. I think uh, it's worth the like 10 minutes or so it takes to play. Uh, I think it, it definitely felt, uh, you know, real for this person who wrote it and it made it feel real for uh, me as a reader. So uh, yeah, I, that's really all that I have to say because it was again, I believe purposefully very simple. Uh, but I think it's one of the cool things about fiction uh, that I don't think, like watching a movie or uh, like a, watching a, a film of these actions happening or even playing a graphic representation where you're like controlling a person who is like doing these things. Press XTP on strip. Yeah, right. Like I just that wouldn't be as effective as actually reading it uh, was for this. So uh, check it out. That's kind of all that I have to say. It's very effective and I think highlights what strong written uh, experiences can do over any other media format. That's really cool. 
I, I can't wait to talk about this next game. Um, and I was a little unsure if I was going to like it uh, when I read the title. Um, but I also thought I probably would. Uh, this is uh, the game Girth Loinhammer and the Quest for the Unsea Elixir uh, by Damon L. Wakes. That and is such a... I don't know. You're you're absolutely right. Like I like it's like that's a title where I'm like, wow, I'm either gonna love or hate this. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, it was a gamble and it really paid off. This was a absolutely hilarious game. Um and it was also implemented in a really interesting and clever way. Uh so first off, Girth Loinhammer and the Quest for the Unsea Elixir is a um, choice-based game, uh, but it is a choice-based game that incorporates some stuff outside the game in an effort to kind of emulate the old um, D&D uh, game books. You remember uh. the the things that had had you rolling dice and, and keeping a character sheet and things like that. And so to that end, uh, this is a game that has you print off a character sheet. Oh, look at that. Shane's and, holding his character sheet. Uh, yes. And it also has you get a couple of six-sided dice uh, to roll. And that it also... And so the, the character sheet kind of serves as um, a tracking device or a tracker for um, these various different uh, keywords and tags that you kind of get as you as you play. Shane, I'm so I'm so glad you played this game because I opened this up. I was like, oh, I'm going to download this thing. I'm going to or I'm going to print it. And I was like, wait, I haven't had a printer for like 13 years. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go. I'm going to go to work. And I forgot to print it at work. And I'm just excited to hear if this is. Uh, well, you could probably like get by for those of you uh, who might be wanting to play this game and don't have a printer. Uh, you could probably get by with just a piece of paper um, <laughs> and it'll be better if you have a couple of six sided dice. So hopefully you have those laying around your house. The first thing that this game asks you to do is to uh, roll two six sided dice uh, and then subtract 15 from that and to write that down as your self-esteem. <laughs> uh, and it asks you uh click here if uh you have a self-esteem value that's greater than zero click here if you have a self-esteem value that's less than zero uh those of you who have done the math know that yeah. <laughs> when you click it is greater than zero it immediately tells you uh you are cheating uh and to basically add the uh add the trait cheater uh, to your character sheet. Um, <laughs> so uh, the the idea with this game is you are Girth Loinhammer, and uh, through a few choices that you'll make early on in the game, um, you will see something that you wish you could unsee. And that will add some sort of trait to your character sheet. In my case, uh, the trait was grossed out by goblins um, <laughs> classic and the uh the then girth loinhammer begins his quest uh to kind of just sort of set off into the world and eventually he, he takes up the quest to seek out uh the unsea elixir he is uh he is told by his spirit guide uh that uh that there's an elixir out there that will allow him to unsee uh, the things that he wishes he had not seen uh, that made him so grossed out by goblins. <laughs> um, 
or or other traits that he might get get and you know other other actions you'll take will either add to or reduce your self-esteem and sometimes there'll be random things where it'll tell you to you know roll one of your dice and click uh options one through six or you know maybe uh you know click here if you rolled a one through five or what have you you'll also assemble a party of adventurers to travel alongside you i managed to get two 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 uh followers one was Batilla Bearbane, who came in handy at one point when uh, I, you know, it, you'll have scenes where it's like you, you're up against a, you see a bear, D- is Batilla Bearbane with you? And you'll you'll click yes, and then she like strangles the bear to death. So so the way the game actually plays out is very um, humor based and very jokey. Uh, there's lots of kind of fantasy and movie references. It's kind of. Uh, I, I, you know, I, with humor games, it's always tough to say like, okay, this is going to land for you or this isn't, but this one definitely had me laughing. Oh, there's a great scene in there, uh, where my favorite choice in the game came up. Hey, let me look, look at my notes. Yeah. Okay. So, so the game, he was trying to decide, uh, I had to choose where to go looking for the temple, uh, that would contain the unsee elixir. And, uh, I might do either ask a wizard or ask a lizard. Uh, and so of course I chose ask a lizard. And so you go off to a, 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 a village of, of lizard people. And there's a, there's a scene where you walk into the street and there's someone saying flies for sale. Shouts a street vendor, get your leggy juicy flies here. Stre- fresh from the stench farms, hot rocks. Shouts another hot rocks selling like hot cakes. <laughs> More flies for sale, shouts a third, different stall holder. They're a staple food, so our economy can easily support more than one business that sells them. Get your flies here. <laughs> the world building in this place is a little heavy-handed. You decide. The temple of and, and you decide to get out as quickly as possible. Um, so it's, it's full of lots of dumb jokes like that. Um, there is a lot of branching to this, so I think there's there. This is a good this is a good game if you appreciate that kind of implementation and choice based stuff. Um, all in all, this was probably my second favorite game that I've played so far for the comp. Wow, yeah, that's awesome. really really good one. Um, I have another uh, 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 sort of Dungeons and Dragonsy fantasy game to talk about a little later, so um, I'm excited. Uh, that that seems to be a theme, uh, or at least I don't know if two makes a theme in a in a pool of over eighty games. But <laughs> I, I, that sounds really fun. The next game that I wanted to talk about real quick was uh, a game from Provodnik Games. It's called Dull Gray. Uh, so last year, I actually really quite liked the game that they entered uh, last year, which was called Railways of Love. Um, it's both both this game and that game are translations from Russian and they're using um their own kind of custom interface that i think looks really nice um and this game is set in the same setting as Railways of Love that was uh they, they have a setting that they call their progress program setting um so it's sort of this uh far future version of Russia with sort of like fully automated robot communism in full force you know um so it, it's a it's it's an interesting setting. It really reminds me of what little I know or have read about their their writing in general. Uh, reminds me of what I know or have read about uh, like Russian uh, literature. Um, 
And uh, this game is a bit different from last year's. Last year's uh, Railways of Love was sort of a conversation on a train and you were mostly, uh, it had an interesting sort of choice style where you were mostly making choices as if you were sort of playing as fate was the way they phrased it. And you were trying to um, effect a conversation between two people who uh, were sort of potentially romantic partners, but you were trying to sort of nudge them through the order of events, like whether the tea cart would come by at a certain time, that kind of thing. Um, this game, its choice, its sort of interactivity is like a bit lower than that game, but in a very interesting way. Uh, it's about a young boy growing up in a sort of a remote uh, outpost that is, uh, you know, uh, he's growing up without a father uh, and his mother is having to make a choice for him. In this setting, uh, at a certain age, children are offered by the progress program a choice of professions, and he's given two choices, uh, lamplighter or tally man. And in the context of of the uh, the the progress program setting, those aren't quite what they sound like. Um, Lamplighter is a uh, very dangerous job and his father died doing it. Tallyman is a sort of uh, working for the government kind of job that um, potentially carries with it a certain uh, distaste as sort of uh, working against your own people in a sense. Pretty sure a tallyman primarily tallies me bananas. Um, <laughs> yes, that is that is correct. I it, feel I feel really bad about that joke. Bananas are extinct. This is the this is the far future. It's it. There's no more bananas under progress program. Okay. Um, so right. anyway, the the thing that's very interesting about this is that you only ever get to make one choice in this game, but you make it over and over again. Um, the choice is you know the game will will play out a scene, and then the mother. Um, gets to choose between uh, Lamplighter or Tallyman. And then some more scenes will play out. Maybe, you know, maybe an uncle comes to visit and he talks about what it means to be a Tallyman. And then it comes up in the conversation, well, what have you decided to choose? And then again, the mother has to choose Lamplighter or Tallyman. Maybe another scene plays out, a, 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 you know, a, a relative comes to visit. She's expressed some distaste for the, the Tallyman uh, role or job, and then the mother walks in again, and and it comes up again in conversation. Well, what will you be choosing? And the mother has to choose lamplighter or tallyman. That's the only choice you get to make throughout the entire game, but you make it several times. Um, and it's interesting because it's kind of the the really restricted choice here, uh, restricted ability to make choices in the game feels like it's very closely thematically related with the sort of restricted choice that these people have under progress program, right? Um, so I, I thought that thematically that very much worked for me. And the writing was also quite good here too. Uh, I remember last, so similar to last year's Railways of Love, these games are both translations from Russian and any translation, you know, the, it, the, the game, the writing is as good as its translation. Uh, the translations of both games were quite good. Um, last year's I, I felt had more sort of standout lines. I remember being sort of floored by the ending uh, that I got in Railways of Love and the way that, that, that it, you know, I just thought it was really, really good language. And whereas this game, I just don't think I found any moments where I was like, that's such a perfect phrase or, or anything like that. I still quite liked the writing, 
but uh, I don't think it quite stood out to me or there were no like shining little golden phrases in this the way that there were in, in last year's game. But this game was differently presented. It was, it was uh, clearly sort of a more involved production. They've got some animations they've added to the uh, to their interface. They've changed their art style from a, a pixel art style to this very cool looking, sketchy looking black and white renderings that they uh, are. And they've added, um, you know, there's more of a soundtrack to this. Uh, it's it's quite a good a uh, well-presented thing. Um, uh, and uh, the thing that probably surprised me the most about it was that it seems like you have this very restricted set of choices, right? And so I was expecting that this game had two endings, right? Lamplighter or Tallyman. Um, but as it turns out, at the end of the game, it presents you a screen uh, that tells you what other players chose. Like this, you know, 10% of players chose your option or here's what. And there are... Uh, two, three, four, five different endings. Uh, and I had no idea that the game had that level of choice. There's, there's, uh, there's, you know, you can become, uh, an unhappy lamplighter or a happy lighter, a lamplighter, an unhappy tally man or a happy tally man or a different destiny. And that different destiny, only 1% of players when I played the game had been able to find it. And that's really, really fascinating to me because this game, like that, that is that is cool from an interactive standpoint, but it's also cool from a thematic standpoint. Where like they only have this one choice to make, and yet within the context of the game, there are multiple sort of ways out, even within that extremely restricted choice space. Right? I, yeah. I, I don't know how repeatedly making the same choice again and again and again. Uh, little Kirill, if you know, escapes his destiny as a lamplighter or a tallyman and finds a distant, different destiny. Uh, I'd probably have to play the game multiple times in order to find that out. But I think it's very cool. Um, you know, when I saw that screen, I was like, "Oh, maybe these characters living under this incredibly repressive uh, regime regime that is uh, that is you know restricting their choice actually have more choices within that than it seems like." And I thought that was a cool message for the game to deliver as a kind of a final note after it's the end right yeah uh, I, I don't know um cool game it's also interesting to me this is the second game that you have talked about that you were like i did not realize as i was playing that there was as much choice as there actually was uh, <laughs> i wonder if that's and, saying that that's like people doing well good writing or if i'm just really oblivious <laughs> yeah I, I actually didn't Maybe mean if it. you like change your font size you'll see all the buttons that yeah I, I actually I actually did not mean it that way, but that is funny. Maybe you're just bad at these things, but uh, I think it's more like, I don't know. I, maybe that's the next evolution of these styles of games, right? Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of like a telltale game where you don't actually realize that you're making critical choices throughout the game, but you're just playing it in the way that feels right to you, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I, that, that's an interesting concept that... I'd be interested to hear or to see more games start to explore to try to hide the decision making in the like, I'm just going to do what I think I'm supposed to do. Right. Uh, And then it would be interesting to see what each individual thinks like you're supposed to supposed to do. Now, of course, upon repeated playing, you start to learn the system and that would start to break down a little bit. But uh, I think generally speaking, when you're playing a game that has choices, it's pretty freaking clear that you're making choices, right? But yeah. this is twice now that you've said, I didn't realize I was making as many choices as I was. It is kind of counter to the 
the most common experience I think game developers are trying to create, which is the illusion of having tons of choice. Right. Um, having having lots of choice and having that be kind of masked as as being being directed. Well, it's pretty. It's kind of like uh, Gone Home, which we just talked about, right? Like, uh, you know, there's a million different ways to like to have your path through the game, but probably the vast majority of people actually have roughly the similar, the same path because of how the game is laid out. Right. Yeah. And and all of this is true. And I, and I, I love, I love that it plays with that, but like what, what strikes me the most about this is that it is, it's, it's extremely well deployed here because this is a game that's thematically about the restriction of choice. Right. And so uh, kind of lining that, that um up with with this i i just i really think it's cool um you know not everything about this game lands perfectly for me like i i, I thought like uh like their last work so may, and i don't know how much of this to blame on the translation um it, it's some of its language is clunky um and uh you know and, and even when it's when it's not clunky it, it, it it's occasionally not quite connecting me but um i don't know i something about the work these guys do um is really cool to me and uh, i hope we see more stuff from them awesome yeah same um so the last game that i'm gonna talk about is a game called rip retold by hippolito hippolito one of those yeah uh and it's it's a really funny i think actually a very funny concept uh though it's not really played for humor it, it if you're familiar with rosencrantz and gildenstern it's like imagine that but for rip van winkle huh. so ima- imagine the story of rip van winkle but told from the perspective of a kid who's in the town who happens to have sort of a tangential interaction with rip van winkle before he goes and sits under a tree and falls asleep for 20 years. And that's the whole perspective of the game is of this kid who sold a candy apple to Rip Van Winkle (laughs) right before he went and fell asleep for 20 years. And how the town responded to this dude just being asleep under a tree for 20 years, how he he responded, how the neighborhood responded, how Rip Van Winkle's wife responded. It, it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's very, it's a very, very funny concept. And I, I really, really appreciate that. And I really like, I think there's like a deep well of stories that take that thing of uh, it's, again, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of the angle on a main character story from any other viewpoint other than the main character is almost always going to be funny, right? Because it's almost always a ridiculous thing that happens. So imagine just seeing it from someone else's perspective. But what stood out to me about this game is that it, it doesn't really play it for humor. I mean, there's some Hmm. stuff, there's some stuff that's kind of funny, but it, I think it actually tries to play it for like the emotional impact of like, imagine you just met a guy who seemed very charming and let you in on a little secret, which is part of the game and I won't spoil, but, and then he just goes and falls asleep for 20 years <laughs> and you know, his wife and you know, the town and you're and 
you know, you know, the doctor that tried to like resuscitate him or wake him from his sleep. And you are like really ingrained in this town. And this guy just went and fell asleep. Uh, I, I almost wish that it played for the humor. It, it kind of play. It kind of tries to go down the middle and it's very short. So I feel like I wish it would have been either more emotional or more funny. And it just tries to play it right, right down the line. And I think it suffers a little bit for that, but the idea is, is great. Uh, and I definitely, I enjoyed that probably more than I liked the game itself. Uh, but I think that's really it. It's a really funny idea. It's a really interesting idea. Uh, if you want to see what this writer does with like how the town would respond and how like the wife would respond and what that would be like, uh, check it out. The last game I really want to talk about is one that I think is going to get a lot of fans. Uh, it was, it has a, a title and a, um, an image, all the games in IF Comp have a little uh, cover image uh, that is going to draw in a lot of the sort of people that are looking around online trying to pick something. And it's, this is the game For the Cats by Lee. And For the Cats <laughs> is a, you know, first off, the picture is a little cute kitten. Um, when, I, when I think about um, making a hook... For a game, I you know I I I run D and D a lot, and it's always challenging to come up with a hook that's going to motivate everybody to do something. You know, it's something I, I I talk about. We've talked about this recently, Nate. Just the idea of making a hook for your mm-hmm. for your uh, adventure. For the cats is a lovely branching narrative that has the perfect hook, which is, um, you are outside of uh, your home. And you see a a kind of a street vendor with a cage full of kittens. And uh, there's some kind of implied animal abuse going on and you decide to save the cats. So, you know, first off, I was 100% on board. Yes, I want to save these cats. Um, And then the game kind of makes another great first step, puts puts its best foot forward. by being one of a few pieces of interactive fiction that lets you choose your character uh, to play as. And the character descriptions are immediately things that will draw you in. And you'll, you'll not only will you want want to save these cats, uh, but you'll, you'll want to choose one of these characters that speaks to you. And the the three character descriptions are terrific. Uh, One is a factory worker, gray as grass. You're strong. Strong enough to live in this town, but not strong enough to fix it. The second one is a housewife living her life from one homemade meal to another. You know how to wait. You know how to smile. You know your place. You forgot your voice. And the third is an artist seeking inspiration from the industrial landscape of the city. At least that's the official version. You don't talk about your past. In fact, you avoid talking whatsoever. And for each of these different uh, characters, uh, you can choose from many different paths on your on your, your your quest to rescue these cats. And 
you you go on to learn uh, about the world around you as well. Um, I, I decided to run as the factory worker and um, uh, wound up going back to the factory where I used to work. Reveals he's, he, he did not work there anymore. And um, I mean, there were a lot of choices involved in getting here, but essentially I just asked a couple of guys from the factory to come and help me rescue the cats. Um, but the the world... Uh, around you seems to be kind of a rundown post-apocalyptic world and and there are no cats in this part of the world and and in why and the uh you know the 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 plants aren't growing and and things like that so the writing itself was really interesting like it, it's one of these games that gives you just a little bit about the world and and a lot about the characters um and the choices that it gives you are really excellent um there are 10 different endings. Uh, some of them are exclusive to some of the characters and some of them are things you get to from any of the characters. But I think, you know, it's, it's definitely very replayable for the, for the reasons of, you know, multiple endings, multiple playable characters. Um, and I, I really liked uh, the dialogue and the writing. Like um, I, I didn't know totally what to go, what I was expecting going into this. Cause when I, so when I got to the part where I was kind of at the factory talking to some of my, old coworkers, I was almost expecting maybe there'd be some kind of like puzzle. Am I going to have to sneak around? Uh, but no, you just ask these guys for help uh, and they come down and basically threaten the guy with uh, threaten this cat seller uh, by kind of flashing some factory documents and, and, you know, uh, making up something about, you know, cat diseases uh, and saying the cats are impounded. And then you, you know, you've saved the cats and, and now it's, it's your job to think about, how to care for seven cats. And, uh, you know, the, the last line of the, of the story was saying, uh, it was almost as if to say that this character in saving these cats was going to turn his own life around. And he was, he was thinking about ways that he could grow some green grass for the cats to walk on. And I, I really, I really loved it. It was a really beautiful, uh, lovely narrative. And, uh, I think, uh, it was written very simply and very effectively. Wow. That's kind of not what I was expecting actually. Um, so that really makes me want to give it a yeah, try. No, this game was absolutely not, not what I was expecting in a really good way. It really surprised me. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm actually, I'm going to play it again. Awesome. Uh, well, the next game, the last game that I had to talk about this week uh, is one that I haven't hundred percent finished yet. So, um, you know, take that for what it, what it is, but it's one that I'm very motivated to finish and I've played enough of it now that I'm pretty sure I can talk about it. Um, and that's Dungeon Detective 2, Devils and Details by Wong a lot. So I didn't play Dungeon Detective 1 last year. Um, I think it won like, it was like 15th or 16th place or something like that in the comp last year. Don't hold me that. I might, I might have the numbers wrong. I, I looked it up a while ago, but I've forgotten. But anyway, um, this game, I didn't play that game. Um, it did look cool at the time. I was excited to check it out, but just never quite got to it. And so I wanted to make sure that I played this one. And I'm really glad that I did. It's a really neat game. Um, it's Shane. I think you will like it a lot because Shane, you are uh, because, you know, you're you're obviously you're into D&D. This takes place in a very D&D like setting and includes a lot of D&D like characters. Uh, if you're not familiar from the first game, uh, this game stars uh 
Detective Sniff Chupaw, who is the world's first dungeon detective, and uh, he's also a knoll. And if you're not a D&D person, knolls are basically like, well, Shane, you're more of the D&D person. Sure. What are knolls? An, a knoll is a, um, uh, I want to say it's a hyena demon mm-hmm. uh, servant of a god named Inogu. Who's like a chaos god, something like that? Yep, or a demon. Well, it doesn't specifically talk about the gods that they worship in this, but uh, it does talk somewhat about Knoll society. Uh, I think that this game sort of downplays the like man-eating nature of Knolls. In in D&D, Knolls are terrifying. That's like 100% of their thing. Yeah, like 100% of their thing is is they eat people, right? Whereas uh, in this... Uh, yes, and turn them into... Gnolls? I guess. I don't know. Um, hyenas? In, in this, uh, like they, they are, you know, fuzzy hyena men. Um, and it talks somewhat about their society, which is all about, uh, you know, fighting and uh, living with your... Um, it doesn't call it a pack. It had some other very cool name for it that I'm now forgetting, and I wish I could remember it because I like I like a lot of the world building stuff in this. Um, you know, but uh, you know he but this detective uh, Sniff Chupaw left his pack or whatever it's called, and and his spot mother, which is the the mother that oversees the pack, and decided to to go out on his own and become a detective and solve crimes in the city. Um, and it does a lot of really good world building right off the bat. So the case, you're not required to have played the first game in order to enjoy this. I'm, I'm sure it would help in some ways, but it, I, I'm not feeling like I'm missing out on anything. Uh, the, the, this game takes place, the, the first scene, you are discussing your new case with your client, who is a devil. And uh, he is aggrieved. He's a devil uh, marathonist. And he is aggrieved because someone has exploded a bomb in his dungeon beneath the city. Uh, And he doesn't know who because he doesn't have any enemies because he's so beloved. He is the the beloved philanthropist devil of the city that uh, that this all takes place in. And, And no one has anything bad to say about him. Oh, yes, he's a devil, but all of his contracts are fair and easy to read. And he he does. He only takes souls when people are really completely consenting and informed. Um. And so you've you've uh, set out to try and and he's really upset that someone exploded his home. And so you're trying to solve the crime and uh, it all plays out in a choice based way. Um, it has a nice UI. There's a couple things it does that I, I thought were cool. It's got an inventory that appears on screen at all times that doesn't just include the things you're carrying, but also um, pieces of evidence. So things like people's testimony uh, will appear in your inventory. Uh, once you've talked to the right people uh, and you're basically trying to go around the city, it's got a day and night cycle so you can explore the same places by day and by night and you're trying to find uh, pieces of evidence to collect together. Once you've found all of the evidence and you've uh, you've de- picked a suspect, you can then return to Marathonis um, and uh, and he will take that, that information to the magistrate. Um, I haven't 100% found all of the evidence yet. There are a few things about it that are kind of bugging me. It's clear that this is a sort of advancement of a lot of things about the first game. Um, so I don't I don't know how this compares to that game. Um, I do have a couple of nits to pick. Um, one is that I found navigating around in this game kind of annoying. Um, you know, the, the, the city that you're navigating, it's not like, you know, huge, but there's a number of different streets. Um, but the way that they're connected isn't very obvious. You know, even it doesn't even really tell you things like, you know, north, south, 
uh, east-west, uh, it just says, you know, from here you can go to this street or this street. From that street, you can go to this street or that street. I wasn't drawing maps because it didn't really seem that that was something I was supposed to be doing, but I, I, I found it really kind of tricky and annoying to get around um, without, you know, memorizing, okay, this street connects to this street, connects to this street, connects to this street to get from point A to point B. And there's no like way to say, okay, let me just go back to the place I was earlier. Um, you have to go through all of the intermediate locales. And every page, when you go to one of those intermediate locales, reads out all of its text to you. And, um, you know, so it, it, I found just sort of the act of like navigating around a little annoying, particularly when it's clearly meant for you to navigate around the same areas several times, because you're supposed to, at the very least, visit most of these places, both by day and by night. Um, and, uh, I don't know, I, 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 I'm, I'm kind of stuck near the, well, not stuck. I still have a couple of leads to follow, but, um, getting down towards the very end of the game, uh, I'm finding it tricky to know what to do next. Um, I, you know, I've got the broad strokes, I think, but I'm, I'm not, I, I, I'm, I'm not just quite sure. Okay. What, what other, uh, evidence do I need to find? Uh, I'm, I'm, and I try, I was getting a little frustrated and checked the walkthrough. And just in case you're curious, the walkthrough doesn't really tell you anything about the process of collecting evidence. It only really tells you about like what uh, some of the multiple endings. So the, the stuff in the walkthrough is really only for like extreme late game when you've already finished collecting all of your evidence. Um, but like I, I otherwise would say like this game, I, I'm going to finish it because I'm really, really enjoying it. I like a lot of the characters. Marathonis, the, the devil, is really funny. There's a there's a, a paladin uh, in the town that is just a, a really – I love paladins, and this was a really well-written paladin who's just uh, really confused by the fact that this devil, you know, everyone seems to like them so much. Surely something is something is up there, right? Um, there's a, there's a setting in the, in the game where there's a, uh, like a chess parlor. That's like a CD chess parlor. And I thought that was very amusing. Um, I don't know. I, I like a lot about this game. I like a lot about its world building. I, I think it's really cool. Um, so it's one of my highest recommends so far, although I really wish that the active investigation was a little smoother and that some of the, I don't know, hinting for like where to go next was a little better. Um, there is a magic necklace that you get that talks to you psychically and will occasionally give you hints, but I found almost none of its hints actually useful. They were like vague to the point of uselessness. Um, so, you know, when I'm walking around trying to figure out what to do next, the the necklace will offer something com completely unactionable. <laughs> so um, I would say if I, you know, things I would like to see improved in this, I would like to either see something like an in-game map or a much clearer um, uh, like relationship uh, presented between the locations and how to get from point A to point B, or maybe even a fast travel option. Like, let me just go back to the, um, you know, the, the magistrate office or whatever, and don't have to like click through seven places in between. Um, but apart from those little nits that I've already picked probably more than they deserve, uh, this is a really good game. I recommend it. Hey, I forgot one game that I that I played that I thought was really interesting for a few reasons uh, that I definitely do want to talk about before we wrap up. Okay. Um, so um, this is a game that is really timely um, and uh, brought to my attention a term that I had not known before. This is a game called uh, Fleeg Scam Simulator. Uh, Fleeg Scam... Uh, which I had to look up the pronunciation on, F-L-Y-G-S-K-A-M. 
um, is a Swedish word. Uh, this is Flea Scam Simulator by Katie Benson. Um, this is a Swedish word meaning flight shame. Um, and it is kind of a trend, I guess. Uh, so kind of around climate activism right now. And, you know, see, you'll see this, I guess, attached to news articles about uh, Greta Thunberg. Is this sort of idea of uh, that it's shameful to fly or that, it, that one should avoid flying uh, to reduce your carbon footprint? So the idea of fleeg scam is is uh, flight shame and, and the idea that, you know, it's 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 not a good thing to be to be flying everywhere. So um, in what seems to me in this game, like a genuine attempt to give you an idea of what it might be like to take a bus trip from London to Hamburg rather than flying uh, when going on vacation. Uh, this game gives you kind of a choice-based narrative that takes you on exactly that bus trip. And it can end in quite a few different ways, you know, but it is a very straightforward walkthrough of, of what that experience is like. Um, and it does have some kind of elements of the of the sublime and, and also of the very basic and, and practical. So, you know, you want to make sure that you, uh, don't do anything that might get you, um, stranded at a bus station, like, you know, wander around too long while the bus is stopped somewhere. Um, and you know, you might, if you strike up a good conversation with your neighbor on the bus, you might fall in love or you might just spend the entire trip playing games on your phone and sleeping. Like these are both possibilities in this, in this simulation. So it, except for the fact that this references the concept of fleek scam, uh, this really is not a game that feels like it's trying to beat you over the head with a political message about, about, uh, you know, climate change or something. It really is just does feel like, okay, here is, here's what the experience of taking the taking the bus on this trip that I would say most people would probably fly for uh, looks like. And here's some of the things that you might see or do along the way, you know, and it, it's frank about the fact that, you know, the experience of being on a bus for, for, you know, a, a long time or overnight is kind of a, a cramped experience. And, and you'll, you'll, you'll maybe, you know, have to make some choices. Like, do I sleep or do I stay up late playing games on my phone and stuff like that? So, uh, honestly, I thought it was interesting. Um, I kind of would like to know more about where this game kind of comes from because like, it, it seems like it's connected to some big ideas, but it tells a very uh, grounded and simple and, and personal story and gives you a uh, very kind of matter of fact walkthrough. But then there's also these moments in there where it's like, okay, you could decide to, you know, you could fall in love with your seatmate and and decide to get off the bus early and, and you know, explore the world wherever they're going. So, so it is kind of beautiful and very simple and uh, I liked it. That's really neat. Um, yeah, and uh, that's all we've got for this week. Uh, I am really enjoying playing these this this year. As always, I, I love uh, IF Comp season. Um, so I'm looking forward to doing another episode on this very soon. Um, our next episode, uh, so next week, won't be another IF Comp episode. Uh, we'll be doing our Halloween episode. We always try and usually fail because of scheduling. But this year, we're going to make it uh, to do a horror or spooky game around the Halloween Spooky. season. Spooky. 
Uh, so next week, we're, I believe, going to be playing uh, Observation. It came out earlier this year, and uh, it's uh, by a developer that I uh, think is pretty darn cool. Uh, maybe some uh, maybe some interactive fiction uh, synergy here. If you played Stories Untold or its very, very cool first chapter, uh, which was called The House Abandoned, which is a uh, which is a horror interactive fiction piece that was done with uh, really high production values for a text adventure and was just one of the most effective horror pieces of IF that I have played. I highly recommend it. Um, and it's part of the larger collection. It's called Stories Untold. Uh, probably the best part, actually. Uh, anyway, that same developer uh, released a game this year that uh, you may or may not have seen. It's called Observation. We're going to be playing it and discussing it. I'm excited to talk about it. Um, and then after that, we'll be returning with more. IF comp. So probably one more IF comp episode before the end of the competition. Um, although if we, uh, if we find time, we may do a little more than that. We'll see. Um, so if you have games that you think are particularly good out of this year's comp, and you want to make sure that we cover them, we are all ears. Uh, You can get in touch with us on our website, www.theshortgame.net, or you can find us on Twitter at underscore short game. Or of course, you can find us on our patron only discord. So if you go to patreon.com slash the short game and support us at any level, a dollar a month or higher, uh, then you'll get access to our exclusive patrons discord, where we talk about the games that we're playing in real time as we're playing them. And as we're prepping for episodes, Uh, we talk about other stuff that isn't video games or isn't short games. Uh, We're having a great conversation about IF comp stuff as things go there. Um, And we'd love to hear from you there. It's a great place to have, uh, you know, full conversations rather than fitting everything into a tweet. Um, So please do support us there. Um, I'm Reagan Kelly. You can find me on the internet at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Shane, where can people find you? I'm also on Twitter at 8BitShane. And Nate, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at NateSTL. Also want to uh, take a moment to shout out a a new $5 patron, member of the shortlist. If you're unfamiliar with what that is, it it gets you into a a special channel on our Discord. Also, uh, we will, uh, we've been asking this group for insight on the things that they might want uh, for, uh, want to see in the future from our Patreon. What new features you may want, what new offerings you may uh, want from us. So shout out to Matt Cromarty uh, for joining that tier. We deeply appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much, Matt. And thanks, of course, to all of our patrons and all of our listeners and anyone participating in IF Comp, all of the authors, all of the readers and judges. Thank you all. And uh, thank you for listening. And you. <laughs> yes, and you, listener. And thank you for listening <laughs> to The Short Game.